Welcome, good Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Moreover, that we much did long to see you, the need we have to use you did provoke our hasty sending. Something if you heard of Hamlet's transformation, so call it, that nor the exterior nor the inward man resembles that it was. What it should be more than his father's death that thus put him so far from the understanding of himself, I cannot dream of. I entreat you both, that being of so young days brought up with him, that you vouchsafe your rest here in our court some little time, so by your companies to draw him on to pleasures and to gather, whether aught to us unknown afflicts him thus, that opened lies within our remedy. Good gentlemen, he hath much talked of you, and sure I am, two men there is not living to whom he more adheres. If it will please you, then, to expend your time with us a while, for the supply and profit of our hope, your visitation shall receive such thanks as fits a king's remembrance. Both your majesties might by the sovereign power you have of us put your dread pleasures more into command than to entreaty. But we both obey and here give up ourselves in the full bent to lay our service freely at your feet to be commanded. Thanks. Rosencrantz and gentle Guildenstern. Thanks, Guildenstern and gentle Rosencrantz. And I beseech you instantly to visit my... Too much changed sun. Heavens make our presence and our practices pleasant and helpful to him. Aye, amen. The ambassadors from Norway, my good lord, are joyfully returned. Oh, thou still hast been the father of good news. Have I, my lord? <laughs> I assure my good liege, I hold my duty as I hold my soul, both to my God and to my gracious king. And I do think that I have found the very cause of Hamlet's lunacy. Oh, speak on that. That do I long to hear. Uh, give first admittance to the ambassadors. <laughs> my news shall be the fruit to that great feast. <laughs> he tells me, my dear Gertrude, he hath found the head and source of all your son's distemper. I doubt it is no other but the main. His father's death and our or hasty marriage. Well, we shall sift him. Welcome, my good friends. Say, Voltemann, what from our brother Norway? Most fair return of greetings and desire. Upon our first, he sent out to suppress his nephew's levies, which to him appeared to be a preparation against the Pollock. But better looked into, he truly found out it was against your highness. Whereat, grieved that so his sickness, age and impotence, was falsely borne in hand, sends out a rest on Fortinbras, which he, in brief, obeys, receives rebuke from Norway, and, in fine, makes vow before his uncle never more to give the assay of arms against your majesty. Wherein old Norway, overcome with joy, gives him commission to employ those soldiers, so levied as before, against the Pollock, with an entreaty herein further shown, 
then it might please you to give quiet pass through your dominion for this enterprise. It likes us well. And at our more considered time, we'll read, answer, and think upon this business. Meantime, we thank you for your well-took labor. Most welcome home. This business is well-ended. My liege and madam, to expostulate what majesty should be, what duty is, why day is day, night night, and time is time, were nothing but to waste night, day, and time. Therefore, since brevity is the soul of wit and tediousness, the limbs and outward flourishes, I will be brief. Your noble son is mad. Mad, call I it, for to define true madness, what is it but to be nothing else but mad? <laughs> but let that go. More matter with less art. Madam, I swear I use no art at all. That he's mad, tis true, tis true, tis pity. Uh, and pity, tis, tis true. A foolish figure, but farewell it, for I will use no art. Mad, let us grant him then. Now remains that we find out the cause of this effect, or rather say the cause of this defect, for this effect effective comes by cause. Thus it remains, and the remainder thus perpend. I have a daughter, have while she is mine, who in her duty and obedience, Mark, hath given me this. Now gather and surmise. To the celestial and my soul's idol, the most beautified Ophelia. That's an ill phrase, a vile phrase. Beautified is a vile phrase, but you shall hear. These in her excellent white bosom. These, etc. Came this from Hamlet to her? Good, madam, stay a while. I will be faithful. Doubt thou the stars are fire. Doubt that the sun doth move. Doubt truth to be a liar, but never doubt I love. Oh, dear Ophelia, I am ill at these numbers. I have not art to reckon my groans, but that I love thee best. Oh, most best. Believe it, adieu. Thine evermore, most dear lady, Hamlet. But how hath she received his love? What do you think of me? As of a man faithful and honorable. I would fain prove so. But what might you think when I have seen this hot love on the wing? As I perceived it, I must tell you that before my daughter told me or looked upon this love with idle sight? What might you think? No, I went round to work, and my young mistress thus I did bespeak. Lord Hamlet is a prince, out of thy star. This must not be. And then I prescripts gave her that she should lock herself from his resort, admit no messengers, receive no tokens, which done, she took the fruits of my advice, and he repelled a short tale to make, fell into sadness, then into a fast, thence to a watch, thence into a weakness, thence into a lightness, and by this declension, 
into the madness wherein now he waves and all we mourn for. Hmm. Do you think tis this? It may be very like. Take this from this, if this be otherwise. How may we try it further? You know, sometimes he walks four hours together here in the lobby. <laughs> so he does indeed. At such a time, I'll loose my daughter to him. To the king, be you and I behind an heiress, then mark the encounter. If he love her not, and be not from his reason fallen thereon, let me be no assist for a state. We will try it. Oh, but look where sadly the poor wretch comes reading. Away, ah, I do beseech you both, away. I'll board him presently. Oh, give me leave. Um, <clears throat> Ah, how does my good Lord Hamlet? Well, God of mercy. Do you know me, my Lord? <laughs> Excellent. Well, you are a fishmonger. Not I, my Lord. Then I would you were so honest a man. Honest, my Lord? I, sir, to be honest as this world goes is to be one man picked out of 10,000. Ah, that's very true, my lord. For if the sun breed maggots and a dead dog, being a good kissing carrion, have you a daughter? I have, my lord. Let her not walk in the sun. Conception is a blessing, but as your daughter may conceive, a friend, look to it. How say you by that? Still harping on my daughter, yet he knew me not at first. He said I was a fishmonger. He is far gone. What do you read, my lord? Words, words, words. What is the matter, my lord? Between who? I mean the matter that you read, my lord. Slander, sir. For the satirical rogue says here that old men have gray beards, that their faces are wrinkled, their eyes purging thick amber and plum tree gum, and that they have a plentiful lack of wit together with most weak hams. All which, sir, though I most powerfully and potently believe, yet I hold it not honesty to have it thus set down. For yourself, sir, shall grow old as I am, if like a crab you could go backward. Though this be madness, yet there is method in it. Will you walk out of the air, my lord? Into my grave. Indeed, that's out of the air. How pregnant sometimes his replies are. My lord, I will take my leave of you. You cannot, sir, take from me anything that I will more willingly part with all, except my life, except my life, except my life. Fare you well, my lord. These tedious old bulls. You go seek the Lord Hamlet. There he is. God save you, sir. My honored lord. My most dear lord. My excellent good friends, how dost thou, Guildenstern, ah, Rosencrantz, good lads, how do you both? As the indifferent children of the earth. Happy in that we are not over-happy, on fortune's cap we are not the very button. Nor the soles of her shoe? <laughs> Neither, my lord. Then you live about her waist, or in the middle of her favors? Faith, her privates, we. <laughs> in secret parts of fortune, oh, most true, she is a strumpet. What news? <laughs> None, my lord, but that the world's grown honest. Then is doomsday near. But your news is not true. Let me question more in particular. What have you, my good friends, deserved at the hands of fortune that she sends you to prison hither? Prison, my lord. Denmark's a prison. Then is the world one. A goodly one in which there are many confines, wards, and dungeons, Denmark being one of the worst. We think not so, my lord. Why then, tis none to you, for there is nothing either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. To me, it is a prison. 
why, then your ambition makes it one. Tis too narrow for your mind. Oh god, I could be bounded in a nutshell and count myself a king of infinite space were it not that I have bad dreams. Which dreams, indeed, are ambition, for the very substance of the ambitious is merely the shadow of a dream. A dream itself is but a shadow. Truly, and I hold ambition of so airy and light a quality that it is but a shadow's shadow. Then are our beggars' bodies and our monarchs and outstretched heroes the beggars' shadows. But in the beaten way of friendship, what make you at Elsinore? To visit you, my lord, no other occasion. Beggar that I am, I am even poor in thanks, but I thank you. Were you not sent for? Is it your own inclining? Is it a free visitation? Come, come, deal justly with me. Come, come, nay, speak! What should we say, my lord? Anything but to the purpose. You were sent for, and there is a kind of confession in your looks which your modesties have not craft enough to color. I know the good king and queen have sent for you. To what end, my lord? That you must teach me. Be even and direct with me, whether you were sent for or no. What say you? Nay, then, I have an eye of you. If you love me, hold not off. My lord, we were sent for. I will tell you why. So shall my anticipation prevent your discovery, and your secrecy to the king and queen molt no feather. I have of late, but wherefore I know not. Lost all my mirth. Forgone all custom of exercises. And indeed, it goes so heavily with my disposition that this goodly frame, the earth, seems to me a sterile promontory. This most excellent canopy, the air, look you, this brave o'erhanging firmament, this majestical roof, fretted with golden fire. Why, it appeareth nothing to me but a foul and pestilent congregation of vapors. What a piece of work is a man. How noble in reason. How infinite in faculties, in form and moving, how express and admirable. In action, how like an angel. In apprehension, how like a god. The beauty of the world, the paragon of animals. And yet to me, what is this quintessence of dust? Man delights not me. <laughs> no, nor woman neither, though by your smiling you seem to say so. My lord, there was no such stuff in my thoughts. Why did you laugh then when I said man delights not me? To think, my lord, if you delight not in man, what Lenten entertainment the players shall receive from you. We coded them on the way, and hither are they coming to offer you service. He that plays the king shall be welcome. What players are they? Even those you are wont to take such delight in, the tragedians of the city. Gentlemen, you are welcome to Elsinore. Your hands come then. You're welcome. But my uncle father and aunt mother are deceived. In what, my dear lord? I am but mad north-northwest. When the wind is southerly, I know a hawk from a handsaw. Well be with you, gentlemen. <laughs> Hark you, Guildenstern, and you too, at each ear a hearer. That great baby you see there is not yet out of his swaddling clouts. I will prophesy. He comes to tell me of the players. Mark it. My lord, I have some news to tell you. My lord, I have news to tell you. When Roscius was an actor in Rome... The actors are come hither, my lord. Buzz, buzz. Upon my honor. Then came each actor on his ass. The best actors in the world, either for tragedy, comedy, history, pastoral, pastoral comical, historical, pastoral, tragical, historical, tragical, comical, historical, pastoral, scene individual. 
or poem unlimited. Oh, Jethog, judge of Israel, what a treasure hadst thou. What treasure hath he, my lord? Why, one fair daughter, and no more, the which he loved passing well. Still on my daughter. You are welcome, masters, welcome all. I'm glad to see thee well. Welcome, good friends. Oh, my old friend, masters, you are all welcome. We'll have a speech straight. Come, give us a taste of your quality. Come, a passionate speech. Hmm, what speech, my good lord? I heard thee speak me a speech once, but it was never acted, or if it was, not above once. For the play, I remember, pleased not the million, t'was caviary to the general. One speech in it I chiefly loved was Aeneas' tale to Dido, and there about it, especially when he speaks of Priam's slaughter. If it live in your memory, begin at this line. Uh, let me see, let me see. The rugged Pyrrhus, like the Hyrcanian beast, tis not so. It begins with Pyrrhus. The rugged Pyrrhus, he whose sable arms, black as his purpose, did the knight resemble when he lay couched in the ominous horse, hath now this dread and black complexion smeared with blood of fathers, mothers, daughters, sons, and thus oersized with coagulate gore, with eyes like carbuncles, the hellish Pyrrhus, old grandsire Priam seeks. So proceed you. For God, my lord, well spoken, with Good accent and good discretion. <laughs> Anon, he finds him striking too short at Greeks. His antique sword, rebellious to his arm, lies where it falls, repugnant to command. Unequal matched, Pyrrhus at Priam drives, enraged, strikes wide. But with the whiff and wind of his fell sword, the unnerved father falls. Then, Senseless Ilium, seeming to feel this blow, with flaming tops stoops to his base, and with a hideous crash takes prisoner Pyrrhus' ear. For lo, his sword, which was declining on the milky head of Reverend Priam, seemed to the air to stick so as a painted tyrant Pyrrhus stood, and, like a neutral to his will and matter, did nothing. Ah, but as we often see against some storm, a silence in the heavens, as hush as death, anon the dreadful thunder doth rend the region. So, after Pyrrhus's pause, aroused vengeance sets him new a work, and never did the Cyclops' hammers fell with less remorse than Pyrrhus' bleeding sword now falls on Priam. Out, out, thou strumpet fortune. This is too long. It shall to the barbers with your beard. Prithee, say on. He's for a jig or a tale of baudry, or he sleeps. Say on, come to Hecuba. Ah, but who, ah, woe, had seen the Mobled Queen? The Mobled Queen. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Mobled Queen. Yeah, it's good. Run barefoot up and down, threatening the flames with bison room. A clout upon that head where late the diadem stood. And for a robe about her lank and all o'er teamed loins, a blanket. And the alarm of fear caught up. But if the gods themselves did see her then, when she saw Pyrrhus make malicious sport, in mincing with his sword her husband's limbs, the instant burst of clamor that she made, unless things mortal move them not at all, would have made milch the burning eyes of heaven and passion in the gods. 
where he had not turned his color and his tears in eyes. Pretty no more. Tis well. I'll have thee speak out the rest of this soon. Good, my lord, will you see the players well bestowed? Do you hear? Let them be well used, for they are the abstract and brief chronicles of the time. After your death, you were better have a bad epitaph than their ill report while you live. Uh, my lord, I will use them according to their desert. <laughs> God's bodkins, man, much better. Use them after your own honor and dignity. Take them in. Come, sirs. Follow him, friends. We'll hear a play tomorrow. Dost thou hear me, old friend? Can you play The Murder of Gonzago? Oh, aye, <laughs> <I>, my lord. <laughs> we'll have tomorrow night. You could, for a need, study a speech of some dozen or 16 lines, which I would set down and insert, and could you not? Mm, yeah, aye, my lord. <laughs> Very well. Follow that lord, and look you, mock him not. My good friends, I leave you till tonight. You are welcome to Elsinore. Good, my lord. Aye, so, goodbye to you. Oh, now I am alone. Oh, what a rogue and peasant slave am I. Is it not monstrous that this player here, but in a fiction, in a dream of passion, could force his soul so to his own conceit that from her working all his visage waned, tears in his eyes, distraction in his aspect, a broken voice and his whole function suiting with forms to his conceit? And all for nothing, for Hecuba. What's Hecuba to him or he to Hecuba that he should weep for her? What would he do had he the motive and the cue for passion that I have? He would drown the stage with tears and cleave the general ear with horrid speech, make mad the guilty and appall the free, confound the ignorant and amaze indeed the very faculties of eyes and ears. Yet I, a dull and muddy meddled rascal, peak like John of dreams, I'm pregnant of my cause and can say nothing. No, not for a king, upon whose property and most dear life a damned defeat was made. Am I a coward? Who calls me villain, breaks my pate across, plucks off my beard and blows it in my face, tweaks me by the nose, gives me the lie of the throat as deep as to the lungs? Who does me this? Ha! Swoons I should take it, for it cannot be, but I am pigeon-livered and lack gall to make oppression bitter or ere this I should have fatted all the region kites with this slave's awful. Bloody body villain. Remorseless, treacherous, lecherous, kindless villain. Oh, vengeance! Why, what an ass am I? This is most brave that I, the son of a dear father murdered, prompted to my revenge by heaven and hell, must like a whore unpack my heart with words and fall a-cursing like a very drab, a scullion, fie upon Fall! About my brain. Hum. I have heard that guilty creatures sitting at the play have, by the very cunning of the scene, been so struck to the soul that presently they have proclaimed their malfactions. For murder, though it have no tongue, will speak with most miraculous organ. I'll have these players play something like the murder of my father before mine uncle. I'll observe his looks. I'll tend him to the quick. If he do blench, I know my course. The spirit that I have seen may be a devil, and the devil hath power to assume a pleasing shape, yea, and perhaps out of my weakness and my melancholy, as he is very potent with such spirits, abuses me to damn me. I'll have grounds more relative than this. The play's the thing wherein I'll catch the conscience of the king. 